This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Monday, February 28th. I'm Julia Caulfield. In today's headlines, Blues and Brews announces festival lineup, CPW looks for information in poaching incident, Capital Conversation talks the executive branch, and a mountain weather forecast. But first, Norwood lost a member of its community over the weekend. Ralph Weaver passed away on Saturday morning after a fight with Parkinson's disease. A beloved retired Norwood fire chief, Weaver was surrounded by friends and family when he passed. He was 86 years old. Touch of Care Hospice provided comfort and care. Crippen Funeral Home will attend to services. Weaver is survived by his son, Shane, his two grandchildren, and his two great-grandchildren. Music and beer will be flowing this summer at the 28th Annual Blues and Brews Festival. And on Monday, the festival announced its 2022 lineup. I think overall, it's just a great, diverse lineup. There's a lot of our staples that we love. There's also a lot of new, young, talented artists. Then we also got traditional blues from the Music Maker Foundation. Um, it's just a great package. I think it's going to be another great year. That's Patrick Sheehan. That's Patrick Sheehan, Partnership Director for SBG Productions, which produces Blues and Brews. The festival will return to Town Park this year with a dynamic, well-rounded mix of blues, funk, indie, rock, jam band, gospel, and soul performances. Up top, we got Buddy Guy. Um... Probably one of the biggest blues legends of all time and um, one of the OG blues men living these days. Um, He unfortunately couldn't come last year because of COVID precautions, so we're excited to scoop him up this year. Government Mule is also on the lineup. They just came out with a blues album called Heavy Load Blues. It's really good. If you haven't given it a listen yet, I highly recommend So I think it's going to be a little bit different of a government meal set than people are used to. Um, Of course, it's going to be jammy, but also really bluesy. Also this year, CeeLo Green as Soul Brother 100, a James Brown tribute. He started announcing that project, I think about a year ago. We had James Brown back in the day on the Town Park stage, and CeeLo Green is just... Um, a name that's kind of larger than life um, with all of his projects, Norris Barkley and Sola stuff. So we figured it was a good, good time to bring him in and to do some James Brown tributes, but he's also going to do a lot of his well-known hits. Other acts will include Blues and Brews staples, Anders Osborne, Tab Benoit, and Samantha Fish. We also have John Hyatt, um, who's amazing, and the Warren Treaty, who's a very hot gospel blues band um, right now, so that'll be great. Then all sorts of other up-and-comers that are really incredible. Up-and-comers including Devin Gilfillan, The Sacred Souls, and Curtis Harding. Curtis Harding is definitely one of my favorite artists right now. Um, it's soul music, but in a different style, um, pretty rocking soul music. His album, If Words Were Flowers... Um, that came out last year, was one of my favorite releases of 2021. The ever-favorite Music Maker Foundation review will be at the festival, featuring Albert White, Artie Dean, Aretta Woodruff, Leonard Lowdown Brown, Pat Wilder, and Shelton Powell. 
Laughs will also be back this year with comedians Troy Walker, Danny Jolis, David Gabore, and Steph Tolev taking the stage. We really think of Blues and Brews as partly a music festival, but also just an entire package of a weekend. Um, people want to come be outside in the mountains and experience Telluride. They want to try some new beers. And they want to see music, and maybe they want to take a break from music and catch some laughs. The festival will be back with its traditional three stages, the main stage in Town Park, the Blue Stage, and Campground Sessions. The 28th Annual Blues and Brews Festival will take place September 16th to 18th, 2022. Tickets go on sale Tuesday, March 1st at 10 a.m. Colorado Parks and Wildlife is looking for help from the public regarding a poaching incident that took place outside of Natarita earlier this month. We had somebody who shot a a buck deer, a four by four buck deer, and just and left it lay. Uh, did not bother to do anything to retrieve any part of it. That's Mark Caddy, CPW District Wildlife Manager. According to Caddy, the deer carcass was found on Montrose County Road FF31 on February 18th. He notes it was shot with a rifle a few days prior. Caddy says he discovered the case after a call from residents reported the deer and an individual appearing to pay attention to the carcass. I was able to stop the vehicle that uh, they had reported. And basically an individual who just wanted to pick he didn't have, I do not believe he had anything to do with the actual killing of the deer. Uh, he just felt like he ought to be able to pick up the antlers, which, uh, you know, this time of year with the shed hunting regulations is not permitted. Poaching an animal is illegal, but Caddy adds it's also a slap in the face to all hunters. To, you know, take the time to get a license, go out during the hunting season, uh, take their chances of, of getting something or not getting something. Uh, and then, you know, to have somebody just come, you know, in, in the winter time when the animals are at their lowest level, uh, shoot one and then just drive off and leave it. Uh, it it's a very much a slap in the face of all those legitimate hunters. Individuals who observed anything in the area the week of February 14th are asked to call Caddy with information at 970-209-2368. If they were in the area and they saw a vehicle, uh, you know, stopped or they heard somebody making a statement about having done it, you know, bragging about it, uh, any information like that would be, would sure be welcome just to try to narrow down, you know, who, who did commit the crime. There is an award for information that leads to a citation. You can also provide information anonymously to Operation Game Thief by calling 877-265-6648 or emailing game.thief at state.co.us. Poaching is a crime that could face misdemeanor charges. Convictions could result in a fine and or jail time. Three equal branches of government. Typically on Capital Conversation, we're looking at the legislative branch, but today we're turning to the executive. KOTO State House reporter Scott Franz talks re-election and COVID response from Governor Jared Polis. Hey, 
Scott, thanks for taking a couple minutes to chat with me today. Hey, my pleasure, Julia. So I wanted to actually first start not talking about the legislature per se, um, but Governor Jared Polis. Since we talked last, he announced that he is running for re-election for governor. You know, I think many of us, you know, expected that <laughs> that he was going to run for re-election again. But what does that announcement of re-election mean? And, and does it seem like there's going to be any maybe shifts in the way things are going at the legislature this spring because of that announcement? Right. So we, we already have seen some shift here at the Capitol, you know, with the expectation that that Polis is running again. Um, you know, when he gave his state state address, he was talking a five-year vision instead of a um, one-year vision. His his goals for things like public safety, you know, making Colorado one of the safest states, um, climate, you know, those are those are things that, that you know, the bills that are coming out right now are, are more targeted to a, a long-term approach. Um, but yeah, like, like you said, you know, we, we were fully expecting Polis to, to run for re-election. He's been, you know, preparing for this for a while. Um, you know, what is interesting is, uh, you know, his, his announcement was very focused almost entirely on things other than the pandemic. It's, um, you know, we're starting to see him try to, to pivot beyond, you know, the last couple of years when, when so much of, um, his, you know, appearances and decisions were tied to, you know, restrictions around protecting people from the virus. Um, but he's kind of shifting gears to a more um, economy-driven message and, you know, even touting some of the things that he was able to pass before coronavirus hit, things like full-day kindergarten. So, you know, it, it is election season. We we do see some impact of that in how the legislature is operating. But um, I think, you know, things will really ramp up here probably toward the, the end of the session. On that note, I mean, you mentioned that he's trying to kind of pivot away from COVID. And last week he announced that, you know, if you're vaxxed and boosted, you can kind of go back to pre-pandemic life. How do you uh, anticipate that um, impacting what's going on in Colorado and then also, you know, in the halls of the legislature for the rest of the session. Well, the announcement comes with a big caveat. I mean, it wasn't too long ago that Polis declared the the health emergency to be over, and then Omicron hit, and it was a very different uh, reality. So there's an acknowledgement that, you know, there still could be another um, variant or something that that kind of changes from what we're seeing now. But uh, his message, you know, as of today is that you know, cases continue to decline statewide, and it's his thinking that people should feel comfortable, you know, going to concerts and going out to eat, you know, without wearing a mask indoors and um, kind of enjoying those pre-pandemic things. Now, you know, his announcement has proven to be um, controversial. You know, there are some people who who think it's still too early, that there are still several um, counties in the state that, you know, according to CDC guidelines, do recommend wearing masks. So, you know, the, the debate will continue. Um, it's definitely um, the governor's intention to, again, like we talked about earlier, pivot away from coronavirus, especially as, you know, the election season approaches. You know, as of now, the picture looks good, but if things start to turn around, you know, that, that announcement could, you know, could, could face more criticism. 
Well, Scott, thank you so much for taking a couple minutes to chat with me today. Hey, my pleasure, Julia. Thank you. That was State House reporter Scott Franz reporting from Denver. Masks will no longer be required on school transportation following a shift in guidance from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The CDC says since it is no longer recommending universal masking in schools, the shift in transportation guidance falls in line. Telluride School District Superintendent John Pandolfo announced in a letter to families on Sunday it will no longer require masks on school buses or vans beginning Monday. Masks will remain optional for those who wish to wear them. Masks are still required on public transportation in San Miguel County, including smart buses, the Galloping Goose, and the Gondola. Partridge Boswell is returning to Telluride virtually as this month's featured poet for the Talking Gourds Poetry Club Bardic Trails Poetry Night. A troubadour of Roma and Luso-Sephardi descent, Boswell is the co-founder of the Bookstock Literary Festival in Vermont and troubadours with the poetry music group Los Loracas. He is the author of the award-winning collection of poems Some Far Country. Boswell has also won the Talking Gourds Fisher Prize for his poem Upon Hearing Amy Winehouse at St. James's Church in Dingle. The Talking Gourds Poetry Club is hosting this month's club in collaboration with the Wilkinson Public Library and the Telluride Institute. At the event, Boswell will read some of his work with time for questions about his influences and inspirations and time for participants to share their own poetry. The event will take place on Tuesday, March 1st at 7 p.m. via Zoom. Registration is available at telluridelibrary.org. Rex and Joanne Kaufman have been ranching in Carbondale, Colorado for over 60 years. The couple worked their dairy and beef cattle, raised their kids on the land, and eventually leased to other local ranchers. They're both in their 90s now and recently sold their 141-acre homestead to the Aspen Valley Land Trust. The Kaufmans, as well as both Garfield and Pitkin County, helped fund the purchase. The ranch property sits along the Roaring Fork River between the Catherine Store and the town of Carbondale. The Land Trust plans to keep some ranching and farming on the land and conserve it for outdoor education, public trail use, and wildlife habitat. Aspen Public Radio's Eleanor Bennett visited the Kaufmans at their historic ranch and sent this audio postcard. My name is Joanne Kaufman, but everybody calls me Joe. I'm Rex Kaufman, C-O-F-F-M-A-N. Tell them how we met. I would say the love of the land and the open space. (laughs) Well, I went to the University of Nebraska. I met my Joe, my wife, there. She was walking down the street. I had my horse and I said, would you like a ride? And uh, she said, yes, okay. Stepped in that stirrup come up on that saddle just like she was born on a horse. (laughs) Well, I was born on a farm in Nebraska. So I said, something might become out of this, which it did. So uh, it all worked out. Well, we had children who were school age, and we were interested in getting a place where they would have good education. And Carbondale seemed to stand out at that time. And it's 
proven to be a good idea that we moved here. Uh, the house was built in 1948, but of course we've lived here 62 years, so we have tried to make it as homey as possible. We have this picture up here on the wall. Well, the photo was given to us by a neighbor when we moved here. Since it was a picture of our ranch, they thought we should have it. But it shows there's a potato cell up there because they raised potatoes at the time. We had cattle and also dairy cattle that were already on the ranch. So we milked cows for 13 years, I think, and the milk went to Grand Junction. So that was a paycheck twice a month, which was helpful in those days. You just got up early every day and did your job and went to bed at night and slept good and kept on going. The day starts at daylight and uh, ends at dark on a lot of, you know, ranches. There's always something to do and it's hard work. But to uh, sit back after a day's work and admire what you've done and happy about it. How many cows, cattle? Just enough to eat all the hay. You don't get numbers from a rancher, how many cattle he owns, I can tell you that. <laughs> well, I would say it was a smaller operation. Yeah, ranching wasn't a big money maker. Got a lot of expenses, so we're fortunate that uh, we've got by, and of course, Joe's teaching, you know, helps also. And the kids, they all worked hard, and they knew the reason why they had to work hard, you know, to make a living here. And that's the old barn to our left, and an old grain bin, and another garage. Of course, there's the pickup and the horse trailer. There's lots of green meadows to look out at, and and you can look down and see the trees next to the to the river. And these trees out here now that are 50 foot tall was only about 10 foot tall. Everything's growing considerably. I think something's coming out right there, maybe. I used to do out in front the whole the whole front yard of a big garden, but I hope to do my flowers as long as I am able. We're blessed that uh, we're both still going and on our feet. Pretty happy about that. We have good children. They help us a lot. They all grew up here. I think I must have done a fairly good job as being a mom. <laughs> we didn't push it to take over the ranch, you know. And they had their careers to take care of, and they were happy of what they was doing. It's a hard way of making a living is the reason we didn't push it. Well, when I look out there, I, I, I think there's a lot of work yet to do. <laughs> and uh, we did a lot of things, you know, played a lot, fished a lot, had a lot of visitors, family, and a lot of our friends loved to come here to the ranch. We didn't want to sell to anyone, any developers. We did not want to spoil the green, green meadows. I think we'll go to our last days happy that it's going to stay in agriculture.
Tribal communities will receive $1.7 billion from the Department of Interior to develop water infrastructure projects. As KUNC's Alex Hager reports, that includes many in the Colorado River Basin. Tribes in the southwest hold rights to about a quarter of the Colorado River's flow, but many lack the infrastructure to use all of the water they're owed. These payments are designed to help fix that. Ann Castle studies tribal water issues at the University of Colorado. What they're intended to do is to provide the tribes with the resources required to actually put that water to use. So that could include storage in a reservoir or a pumping station or distribution lines or a clean drinking water system. Advocates say this is a start, but a long history of exclusion and underinvestment has left many tribes without water infrastructure or the money to build it. I'm Alex Hager. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for clear skies tonight with a low around 20 degrees. Tuesday should be sunny during the day and mostly clear at night with a high near 50 degrees and a low around 25. Wednesday, expect sunny skies with a high in the mid-50s. Wednesday night should be partly cloudy with a low around 30 degrees. This has been the news for Monday, February 28th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206. And now, a personal commentary. Are you interested in joining the Uncompagre Solar Co-op, but need to know more about how to finance solar and energy efficiency for your home or business? Please join EcoAction Partners and San Miguel County for a residential, commercial, and ag producer energy efficiency and solar financing virtual event this Wednesday, March 2nd from 5 to 6 p.m. The Colorado Clean Energy Fund and Colorado Commercial Property Assessed Clean Energy Programs, or CPACE, will be explaining how they have helped residences, businesses, and ag producers across Colorado access financing for their energy retrofits. You can find information about registering for this free webinar on Eco Action Partners' website event page, the Town of Mountain Village events calendar, or Kodo Community Calendar. If that does not help, please contact Ellen, the event moderator, at ellen at solarenergy.org. This is a great opportunity to learn about diverse financing opportunities as a part of the Uncompagre Solar Co-op. Visit Solar United Neighbors org slash uncompagre to learn more about the no obligation way to go solar with your community. There are up to $5,000 rebates available for the Town of Mountain Village homeowners and $500 rebates available for the first 10 members under contract from deed-restricted housing outside Telluride and Mountain Village. Don't wait to learn more. The co-op ends May 1st. Unable to make it? Don't worry, we will be recording the event for registrants. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you would like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Kodo. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.